Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. I'm your host, Neil Kiernan. Uh, we'll be uploading this interview with Tara Reed to my podcast as well as to YouTube. And if you go to my archives, you can find a lot of other great shows with different interviews with uh, activists, scientists, presidential candidates, senators, uh, environmentalists, documentary filmmakers, and also just a lot of content on the uh, comings and you know ongoings of what's going on in the world today. Um, my video channel is a little different because obviously I'm using video as an element. If you don't agree with everything I say, that's fine. I'm not right. I'm not left. I'm awake. So today my guest is Tara Reed. Uh, Tara Reed, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and kind of sure. give us a story about how you got started in politics or activism. Sure, sure. My name's Tara, Tara Reed. Um, oh, I'm just, sorry. <laughs> hey, that's okay. That's all right. Mm -hmm. People often call me Tara, um, mm -hmm. and I sometimes correct and sometimes I don't. But okay. um, it's Tara, and uh, I got involved with activism. Actually, my mother was an activist that got me quite involved when I was young, and she was a member of Committee Against Racism and Progressive Labor Party. Um, so she marched against the Nazis in Chicago. They were trying to walk, uh, march through a, uh, Skokie, Illinois, which was a primarily, uh, Jewish neighborhood of Holocaust survivors. And so she was there to march with Jesse Jackson and other big activists in Chicago, um, blocking that march from happening. It was before, you know, some of the hate crime bills happened. So, right. um, so yeah, so I was with her doing a lot of her activism. She was an anti war during Vietnam, anti-war activist. So yeah, so I grew up around it. And then my father, conversely, I had very little contact with him. He was a defense contractor and uh, worked oh. very well um, as a PR person, then eventually um, worked as a writer and defense contractor in Washington, D.C., and uh, worked for the Pentagon and so on. That had to have made an interesting pairing of a defense contractor and an anti-war activist. Um, well, you could say it was political cognitive dissonance. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very much a relief when they both divorced they divorced <laughs> they divorced when i was about 12 or 13 they didn't they were they were not uh compatible so it was a good good thing well at and, least they were together long enough to bring us you <laughs> thank you and um but my mom taught me a lot about activism and then of course i was involved in debate and drama in high school and then got very involved with um, environmental activism and then um, animal advocacy. And then, uh, uh, you know, I was involved with acting a lot and theater. Um, so I was a professional actor in the early part of my life and then moved over to politics um, in my mid twenties. Now, did you, I guess then, you know, obviously everybody knows you for, unfortunately for the things that happened between you and Joe Biden, um, mm -hmm. you know, did you, Immediate, like, was that your first political job or was, did, had you done other things first? No, I did other things first. I, mm. well, I was working in Hollywood, like I said, as a professional actor and model. And then um, I got, I worked on a congressional race um, in the Central Coast. I was the field campaign manager, um, the field coordinator of a campaign. Right. And then I volunteered at some campaigns and did all that and then interned with Leon Panetta. Mm -hmm. And um, then I got the job with Biden. Okay. Well, you know, we've, you've already gone over ad nauseum, you know, the things that happened to you and you shouldn't have to do it anymore. So I'm not worried about that. And so much as just like the kind of the context of 
what it meant in a larger scale. And one of the things that led to me reaching out to you is that I've seen this really bizarre, like you talked about political cognitive dissonance, you know, um, just the ability of people to kind of weaponize, you know, the things that have happened to women when it's convenient to them politically and then just, you know, turn it off like whenever they want, you know, believe all women except for that one, you know, um, and I, it astonished me when I watched what happened, you know, as far as the different things that happened to you when the story unfolded and the way that people reacted, because there were a lot of them were people that, you know, were very big on, you know, going after Justice Kavanaugh, you know, when that happened, and then all of a sudden, well, now it's different, you know, and that confounds me. And more importantly, I think it enrages me. And, you know, that it actually brings me back to a memory that I had where I was interacting with Alyssa Milano on Twitter and Rose McGowan was tearing into her, you know, and she liked one of my tweets, which was a fun moment for me. Um, but I just, it, it, the ability to just completely make the suffering of one woman invisible and then the suffering, you know, of any other women, like, well, we believe all women until we don't, you know, and I guess for you, especially being in that situation, you know, it, it has to have been very difficult, you know, especially because it's just insane, you know, and then you got to check yourself. You're like, man, all these people doubt me because they're gaslighting you, obviously, you know, mm -hmm. and so I guess just comment a little bit on your experiences with just not you know, not with what happened in so much as like what happened after and dealing with people and their ability to just completely ignore the truth in front of them. Well, I'm coming from a perspective where I was a lifelong Democrat and um, I really um, admired the prominent Democrats at that time. I mean, I had no idea what DC was really like. And so when I worked for Joe Biden, this isn't someone, you know, it's not like I disliked him. I, I liked him and admired him and wanted to like him and admire him as my boss. And he was about my father's age. So and I was 25 to 27 when I started, you know, back in D.C. and going back and forth and um, 27 when it happened to me. And it really um, shocked me on many different levels because it ended my career when I said no to him. And I tried to come forward, as you know, in 1993. Sure. And I was threatened um, by members of staff. I was threatened um, to be silent. And they said one of the um, people that worked in the office that worked for the press secretary said, you know, when I filed the sexual harassment complaint, um, because I didn't see a person I wrote down, you know, about the harassment and I wanted to tell someone in person about the assault and I was trying to get up the courage to do that. And um, anyway, uh, they never called to have me meet with a person to tell you know, to tell the rest of it. My mother wanted me to file a police report right then. I wouldn't. I was too afraid. I was afraid of the repercussions. And then that staff person said um, when they found out about the somehow about the you know, me filing it, they said, Tara, we will fucking destroy you. Right. And I was a young woman. I mean, that's, that's, those are pretty powerful words coming from an upper level staff. And I, I was intimidated. I was completely, you know, and I also, what's really hard about it is that this person did a bad thing, 
but you're still, it's like in the words of Lucy, Lucy Flores, who, you know, stepped forward about Biden. She was a good democratic foot soldier. Well, that's kind of like how I was. I was not an upper level staff. I was just at the beginning of my career. I was low level. I was trying to get mentored and wanted to have a career. And then that happened. And so it shattered my life. Um, And then, of course, the assault itself had its repercussions and trauma around it that I really kind of just submerged. Like I just wouldn't deal with it. And um, but it but it did. It was there. And um, I think you probably saw uh, one of the pieces of evidence that came forward was that on the restraining order against my ex-husband, he brought up the fact that I was traumatized in Joe Biden's office. Yeah. 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 And um, it did have an effect. So, you know, so that moving forward, um, there was an there was an atmosphere of misogyny back then, but it was the early 90s. The, the vernacular was quite different then. The way people handled it was different. And it was just sort of the norm. It's like you were just this is how they were. The politicians were. And to bring us up forward to 2019, when I heard Lucy Flores being torn apart, basically, by the media, I I knew I had to say something. And then my daughter was an adult and I was in a place to do that. Right. Um, you know, when he was vice president, there was really no mechanism to come forward. And I was pretty upset, but I did vote for Obama. He happened to be on the ticket and that's how much of a dedicated de- Democrat I was. And then I really like told myself, well, maybe he's changed, you know, cause I was really busy with my advocacy for domestic violence during that time. And, you know, maybe he's not that way. And then come to find out he had not changed. He was, you know, 2019, all those women came forward about being uncomfortable. And then I, I stepped forward and um, told the whole history then in 2020, as you know, on the Katie Halper show. Right. And, you know, and Katie was very brave to, to take that on because for sure. <laughs> you know, she's not an investigative reporter. And she's, you know, a podcast host. She has investigative reporting on there, but she herself is not one. And, and you know, professionally, she got all kinds of, you know, pushback for um, lifting my story. And, you know, there was the political thing where, where the Bernie folks stayed away from me in a way because it was like they didn't want to be accused of lifting up the story. So it was like I was being shut down from the left and shut down from the right. And the right wanted nothing to do with me because I would not stand by Donald Trump. Right. And I, I was never going to be a Republican and they knew it. They were never going to get that. Yeah, no, I, and I remember just kind of looking at that. (laughs) It, that was the element really that that got me in the direction of asking about this was just to say that it's like, how do you deal with it when people are just being utterly irrational? Like, I mean, it's like the conversation, like with Alyssa Milano was like, you're the person who cried tears during the Kavanaugh hearing. And now you're just dead silent. And I remember when crystal ball confronted her on Twitter and right. her only response was Bernie supporter. Right. I'm like, what the hell does that? That's actually, now I remember that's actually what started it. What the hell does that have to do with it? I was well, like, you yeah, know, and- her, what candidate she supports me. And I was like, Oh, oh. but anyway, you know, Rose McGowan really shed a light. Like if you watch some of her interviews during that time about me and supporting me, and she's been a great source of inspiration and support for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, she has suffered a lot of, a lot of 
career backlash because of supporting me. But right. she did anyway because she felt it was the right thing to do, and she believed me. But she um, went after Alyssa Milano because she knows Alyssa to be a fraud, and she has her own stories that she's talked about and why she knows this. She worked with her for a long time on Charm and um, the Charmed, the, the TV show. And it, what's interesting is that um, Alyssa Milano um, was trying to ride the fence a little bit and then just like, no, then just came down for, for Biden. But, but she, but Rose exposed that she's a member. I mean, that her husband, excuse me, is um, a upper level staff for CAA, <laughs> um, which is a top Hollywood agency. And that that's oh, Joe wow. Biden's agency as well. Right. And CAA kind of, you know, they lift up a lot of the democratic candidates um, and they use their PR machines and then, as you know, because Ryan Grimm did a story on this, Time's Up. Right. Um, it was founded by Anita Dunn, who was Joe Biden's um, uh, public relations person for the campaign. And he paid her $2.2 to make my story go away and Hunter Biden's story go away and those things. That's It's just so corrupt at every level. And that's why it annoys me so much, because it's it's weaponizing. Again, it's weaponizing women's suffering, weaponizing people being victimized and that it's only important when it's convenient to them. And I, it's, I'm watching this go on right now in the podcast, YouTube universe, because of the fl- mm-hmm. feud between Jimmy Dore and the young Turks. And if Anna Kasparian comes out and she gives her story, you know, an interesting timing, you know, but regardless, she gives her story. And then, you know, Jimmy exposes things that the young Turks used to do that were just horrible. Like, I'm not even like a prude or anything, but I would just turn that off like if I saw that kind of TV. You know, they took pictures of women that were taken without consent and said, you can see the unedited version on our website. That's like that's like something you do on a smut website. That's not something all, you do. You know, all of that is the distraction. Well, all no, I agree with you on that. Distraction from the fact that Aaron Maté is a fine investigative reporter. He went to Syria and he had a very very good report. And what really bothers me about this whole thing is that the reporting that he did on Syria, which is so important and people sure. need to pay attention to, has been lost in this dialogue about Jimmy Dore and Anna Kasparian and all this. But really, we need to bring it back to the fact that they misrepresented Aaron Mate's reporting, which was very good. And they did it on purpose. And and that's why I don't watch the, the Young Turks, because they're more establishment Democrat. I'm very anti-imperialist and I'm sure. very left. And those who know me know who I am. I'm a lefty left and I'm, you know, I'm not a Republican anymore. And I mean, excuse me, I never was, but I'm not a Democrat anymore. And I left the Democratic Party for the first time this last year. And I'm guess I'm independent. Um but to be, you know, to be frank with you, like I'd have to see someone, you know, I'd maybe think about voting green if they had a, a really good candidate. I love Angela yeah. Walker. She was fantastic. But back to your to what you're saying, I just think it's a distraction from the fact that on their show, they misrepresented a video about Aaron Mate that he did on his reporting on Syria. And that's what this is about. They're trying to get a message across about you know, the empire basically and the bombings that we do in Syria and, and, and Aaron Mate's message conflicted with the establishment Dems. Oh, and, I, and I'm not saying it's not a distraction. I think actually what points to the fact that it's a distraction is how many of the leftist journalists are coming out 
and they did a bit about Jimmy to try to discredit him, mm-hmm. but they're utterly silent about everybody else. Like Vosh does a video about Jimmy. Um, there, the the Surfs did a video about Jimmy. Uh, that Sam Nieder, I think his name, did a video. But they're no, they're not saying anything about the other side of it. And the only reason that's important to me is that if this is really your motive, if you're concerned about women being mistreated, why are we not talking about the rest of this? You know, and and because of the, at the end of the day, what it really amounts to is trying to silence this issue about Syria. You know, I definitely I, I don't disagree with you about that at all. But it points to the fact that Me Too is only important if it's beneficial to us in the moment. That that's me just the too. part that I mean. Me Too is a hashtag. It's trash. It's it's roadkill, political roadkill at this point. Right. Me Too is politically weaponized to use for convenience by the Democratic Party, either as a shield to say how great they are with women's issues, or it's used to undermine um, maybe an attack someone else that they don't like. And I'm, right. I'm thinking, you know, of, of different people that were falsely, you know, there are false accusations at times. Whether Anna Kasparian, whatever her point is, I don't even know all of that whole convoluted um, back and forth that went on because it's at this point, it's so convoluted. It's hard to, to go through, but right. that's, that's what happens. Unfortunately, what really needs to happen is that, um, for instance, I brought up Anita Dunn to you. We don't mm-hmm. need women that promote misogyny. We don't sure. need women that catch and kill. Um, you know, the young Turks didn't have me on their show. They reached out and then didn't follow up. I did. They didn't really want me on. I don't think they didn't have me on. Like right. if they cared about women's issues, I would have been on there. Just right. like I'm on Democracy Now!, just like as on Katie Halper. Um, I have not been on Jimmy Dore, but I do admire him. And I think you know, he's a comedian, but he also says things, and comedians do this. And I, you know, my brother's a comic, he's a professional comedian and does really, you know, does really well in his own right. And we kind of keep our world separate, but but Colin um knows of Jimmy too and is is a you know you know, had even been on the same stage with him and and those kinds of things early in New York. And um, I just think that Jimmy George says things that people sometimes it's difficult for them to hear, but they need to hear it. And And I definitely don't. That's the thing is I don't want to say that I'm a big fan of his. I mean, I've got videos on my channel that are kind of, you know, contrary of him as well, but it was more, you know, but at the same time, I'm happy that anti-war is starting to get attention again because when I was saying I'm not voting for Biden or Hillary because of Iraq, everybody looked at me like, you just need to get over it. I'm like, yeah, like the people of Iraq can get over it, right? You know, yeah. so are the people in Syria, are they supposed to just get over it? I just, it's the funny thing is they always talk about positions of privilege. I'm like, you're in the position of privilege of the fact that nobody's ever bombed you. You know, like, and I, it was just like, and nobody wanted to talk about it. I, I circulate this video that I strongly advise anybody to watch if they haven't yet called How to Create an Angry American when they pair up all of the things that Rumsfeld and the Bush administration said about Iraq with all of the things that they said that contradicted those things, like just pair the lies with the right. lies, you right. know, by the time you're done, it makes you physically angry. And I, yeah. to me, I was just, I, I don't, when I was running for Congress, I actually, for whatever reason, had a lot of Iraqis who lived in my, my area and they were all telling me we were all about it. We supported it. And then we noticed that they were only securing the oil fields Right. You know, that they didn't ever they didn't help us with our infrastructure. It's actually unfortunate, but it was easier to live there under Saddam Hussein. You know, right. like that's that's powerful stuff. But you know, I actually remember when the Syria thing started, 
that there's a as uh, a newspaper, I guess it's an online newspaper, but it's for the for the Kurd for the Kurdish people, and they reported that Joe Biden had troops in Syria the day he took office. Right. You know, like I, I'm like, and I was like, why isn't anybody talking about this? And it's well, literally yeah. only that website that I've ever seen about it. And I'm, I'm, and no, no, you know what? You got to check out Richard Medhurst. He's fantastic. Um, Richard Medhurst is is half Syrian. And he also he can really talk from personal experience, but he lives in Europe. But he um, does a lot of work. Um, well, you can look him up on your listeners can look him up. Sure, but sure. He, but he he's coming from the perspective of, you know, you're bombing my country. you like. This is <laughs> this is what's going on. But he really breaks it down. He's also really good on um, explaining Palestine to um, Americans because um, he even gets out the maps because, you know, how Americans are. We can't like, you know, geography is not our thing. So but he but he basically breaks it down about the apartheid state that Israel the Israelis have created and bombing of civilians. And, you know, it's really important that we stay focused on those issues. Cause like someone was saying to me recently, they said, Oh, you know, you've gotten, you know, I'm getting like right now I'm getting trolled right now for reasons we'll talk about later. But, um, and I said, they're just words. I said, I'm, I'm not being bombed. My home is not being bombed like people in Palestine or like people in Syria and Iraq. And, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but like the department of justice took down 33 international websites um, wow. that were critical of the United States. 33 in one day. That was like two weeks ago. And then the next day is when we bombed Iraq and Syria. The next day. <sighs> and um, so the, Richard Medhurst was one of those websites. It was a press TV. I think press TV had that. Um, and he, all his work was deleted um, from that website. He has other work. But, you know, like it, it's... And they used the law saying it was dangerous content because it was challenging the imperialism, you know, it was challenging the empire. That's all. Well, that's, I mean, they go after everybody. I mean, with Mike Gravel's recent mm -hmm. passing, you know, that was kind of clear in my mind. Oh, you know, yeah. He was a friend of mine and I worked for him in 2008. And wow. they, you, he supported Tulsi Gabbard and he supported Bernie Bernie was a little quieter about the war, but he did openly say, I didn't vote for that, and it was stupid to vote for that. Um, but, you know, Tulsi was outright, right. yeah, she jumped on it. And th that's, you know, and that's one of the things that I remember, like, trying to, when I'm trying to communicate to younger activists, I'm like, you guys don't know how easy you've got it in comparison. Because a candidate like Bernie Sanders back in 2008, he wouldn't have made it out of the second debates. They'd have gotten rid of him as fast as they could. They don't like anti-war people. They don't like people who tell the truth, you know, and so like they went after Senator Gravel, you know, and on the opposite side of the aisle, because I tell my Trump, you know, supporter fans, I'm like, don't think that you got you guys are immune to this because they'll always say, well, that's the corruption of the DNC. I'm like, Ron Paul polled higher than Rudy Giuliani in every state. And in every state, they would put Giuliani on the stage and Ron Paul would have to fight to get into the debates. Exactly. And it, all, it all stemmed from Ron Paul telling the truth about 9-11. And he didn't, you know, and then they tried to frame him as a conspiracy theorist. He's like, no, right. they didn't, they didn't attack us because we were free. You know, they attacked us because we've been bombing their country, you know, and um, him and Dennis Kucinich. I'm actually really happy to see Dennis Kucinich is running for mayor in Cleveland. I hope he gets yeah. it. I really miss him in Congress, you know, but they went after people like that. You can't, the military industrial complex this is something Mike used to emphasize with me all the time is the, by far the most powerful lobby there is. 
And anybody who openly talks about the negativity of war, you know, that's something that's changed also in our journalism. Like, you know, so people in, in during the Vietnam war, they get to see what war looks like. Right. Up close. You you don't get to see any of that unless it's a WikiLeak now. Did you see see what I just shared today? I don't know if you saw it, that a bunch of the establishment Democrats um, were because apparently Biden ordered bombing of the Russian pipeline and it was bombed on Fourth of July. And so they were all comparing it to sex and how it's better than sex. I mean, it was so disgusting. And I I was wondering what you what your thoughts were on that. But, um, you know, Graval would have been horrified, like the way the brainwashing and the and one of the accounts, by the way, was is a political operative. So that told me they're sending a message. They're trying to make it seem good. We're bombing is good. Like, send that message. Drive it home. It's so frightening. I had a YouTuber, a friend of mine, his name Storm Clouds Gathering, come on my show. And he pointed out that. All of a sudden, everybody was positive about George Bush because he was against Trump. And I'm like, sorry, I'm not jumping on that. You know, and (laughs) it's like, no, I I remember that guy. Maybe you guys don't. You know, and the funny is I've even heard people leftists going, oh, well, he's not a fascist. Have you read the Patriot Act? But to to get back to what you're getting at, it's the same concept is they they demonize people who speak against it. And Mm -hmm. no, I didn't. I did not get a chance to look at what you think, but I will. I promise. I was actually researching something today. But. You know, but it doesn't surprise me. And that's there's actually a, a documentary. I actually had the filmmaker of it many times on my show. And he did a documentary called Militainment Incorporated. You may still be able to find it online. It's it's pretty old. But he did a whole bit about how the media, um, first of all, they, they fetishize weapons, you know, so that people are interested in the in the weapons of war. They're like, oh, they're about to they're about to show a video of an A-10 warthog, dro- you know, dropping ta- you know, bombs on tanks. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't say that I've never watched a video like that. I mean, my, my brother was in the air force, so I know about planes, but at the same time, they were doing it in the context to try to get people into the war, you know, and they don't talk about war in the way that was during the times of Vietnam, you know, and you think about Daniel Ellsberg and Mike Gravel, you know, one of like people, cause people were bitching about Tulsi going to go talk to Assad herself. And the reason for that is the same reason Ellsberg just went out in the field with an M16 and went to go look at things himself because the stuff he was getting at the Pentagon did not add up, you know, and he's like, this doesn't sound right. There's this fog of war, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I, I'm kind of, I, the, the, the situation in Palestine and Israel, I think has some of the similar, has similar aspects to it in that it reminds me a lot about what happened in Ireland because there's no perfect, you know, perfect solution. You know, and there's people on both sides who have it in their best interest to lie about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant. I wait, you know, and obviously I don't like what's going on there. I don't like that any innocent people are getting killed. But we can't ever get a straight answer anymore. And our news is so polarized. Explain so, to me how someone from Brooklyn has rights to an apartment um, that someone's been living in for generations in Palestine. That that's just theirs. Well, no, no, I, I agree. That's a messed up situation. Yeah, and not only do they do that, but they tell them if they don't give up, if they don't demolish their business or home, right. that, that Israel will do it and they have to pay the cost of the, their own demolishment. Oh, no, there's no you question. All that stuff is just terrible. I'm, I was more referring to who's targeting who. Yeah. And I, it's a war, and I'm sure that both sides are getting dirty in that element. But I want to say both sides mm-hmm. as a whole. I mean, Hamas. You know, but regardless, my concern is, is that uh, things like that, like in Ireland, what ended up happening was you'd have people in the Irish Republican Army and they're bombing innocent people 
but they're in it because their brother got killed. They don't even care about the cause. And then somebody on the other side of that, they're in it because their brother got killed. And then it just keeps happening. Like right. you, you have to get to a point where somebody has to stop. And I, I'm hoping that it's Israel. <laughs> you know, well, like you need to, well, because Palestine, Palestine's case, I mean, they're being ethnically cleansed. They're mm-hmm. being ethnically cleansed. I mean, they're, they're disappearing. Like they're, they're being the Gaza strip is just, I mean, they were bombing it the other night again. It's not even making the mainstream news. Right. We're, no, I mean, well, yeah, there's definitely a problem with Israel. Tax, the problem, the, the reason why it's so important is that our tax money is paying for those weapons. Right. And that is, it's this, the consent is not there. And I keep saying to people, Joe Biden didn't get consent from me. Right. And he's not going to con- get consent from the American people when he does acts of war, and he has not. Was there any kind of discussion in Congress or debate about Iraq or Syria recently? Was there any kind nope. of discussion or debate about giving more money to Israel for more bombs? No. No, no. no he's just he's just pulling a George Bush Iraq war resolution. I can do whatever I want. I'll bomb whatever I want. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, you know, I agree with you wholeheartedly in that. And, you know, I guess I just it's I'm I hope that that's something that annoys me about the Young Turks doing that is that they're trying to cover up on this and they're pro bombing. And I'm like, you're supposed to be a progressive outlet like they've. So so now we're going to cover up that. And then the other people like for people like, you know, because Vosh isn't talking about the bombing in Syria and the serfs aren't talking about all these other people that are getting involved in this. They're not talking about it either. It all needs to be about shutting up Jimmy Dore. And then it needs to be, and then as as a result, shutting up, you know, um, the you know, Aaron Monte. You know, I think Glenn Greenwald did a bit. I don't know if you watched it, but he did a video um, recently that I felt was very level-headed, you know, but he pointed out just how screwed up this whole situation is. But he's always been a good guy for kind of exposing corruption in the media. You yes, know, but... You know, and I I just it's I feel that um, I agree with you that it's a distraction and it annoys me that that me too, that women's suffering can be weaponized to distract the American people. I agree with that. And the fact that we're talking about that and I it's hard to wrap your head around just how in irrational people have become when they're discussing politics. And it's the funny thing is I used to think because back in 2008, like the only reason Ron Paul basically had a campaign was the Internet. The Internet was this great thing. And I know back then we were really worried that they were just going to shut the Internet off. And then I kind of had an epiphany. I'm like, you know, I don't think that's what they're going to do. I think what they're going to do is they're going to learn how to use it. Right. And it's going to be even worse than the. Yes. And and now you're witness to it. So and and and, you know, it's. For me, you know, when you look at issues like, well, first of all, going back to what you said about Glenn Greenwald, he's brilliant. He's a brilliant investigative journalist, and he's brought forth stories that are, you know, at very much risk to his personal life and personal being. And the Edward Snowden story is the story of our generation. I mean, sure. there there is no other more important story, I think, than that that story besides Julian Assange being imprisoned. Um and Edward Snowden warned us exactly what's happening now, warned us, um, you know, through Glenn Greenwald's journalism and, and, you know, Abby Martin was involved, as you know, um, in bringing that story forward as well. Sure. And, you know, I just and, you know, and then Oliver Stone did his part when he did the documentary and did a did a film 
adaptation of it. But, you know, Snowden warned us that we would lose our privacy. And so there's two things here. Like, I guess if you look at the meta, it's the lack of privacy, uh, privacy being taken away, and it's consent. And my experience with Joe Biden is like a microcosm of that macrocosm of consent and implied and, and what the state is doing with implied consent to use our money to get into wars we don't want to be in. And when people like Tulsi Gabbard stand up and say, we need to get out of these endless wars, um, that catchphrase got her called a Russian asset. Right. Yeah. You guys must have been hanging out in the Kremlin because you're a Russian asset supposedly as well. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know, right. I've been called a Russian asset. Cause, cause oh, and a violent extremist by Facebook. That, and a violent extremist by Facebook. And, that blew and, you know, my mind. And people are all over me because I'm on RT, but RT is an international media outlet. There is no reason why they should have to register as a foreign agent. They're not a foreign agent. They, they do stories that are not necessarily ones I would think that the Kremlin would be that happy about. And, you know, it's like PBS or NPR, we don't call them U.S. state media, do we? No. Yeah. yeah. Well, just, I mean, and Jesse Ventura them. works for them, and Jesse Ventura wouldn't oh. work for anybody that, you know, that was, I mean, I don't yeah. know what his agreement with them is. I mean, I worked for his exploratory committee for president. I wish he could have run, but, you know, there's no way he would ever, like, nobody's got a leash on him. I guarantee it. No. And when I do op-eds for them, they're organically from my mind and from my ideas. And, um, you know, they they have chosen to publish them and I'm lucky there, you know, Larry King's been, had a show on, on RT before he passed away and other people, um, there are fine journalists on there. But my point is because I did that, even before that I was called a Russian asset, but back to Tulsi, she um, tried to sue Hillary Clinton. If you recall, right. I wish that it went all the way through. I mean, because she was a veteran. Here she is. Um, how many tours of duty? You would know this. How many tours did she do? Uh, I actually don't, but she got to be a major, so mm-hmm. she had been out involved for quite a long time. Right. Yeah. So there's a couple tours. I'm sorry, so Tulsi followers can tell me. Right. Um, when they, because, um, but she's someone to be very admired. I mean, she really stood by and said things. She called Kamala Harris down on the carpet. Remember? Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I call it the verbal crowbar. She took out a verbal crowbar and whacked him in the whacked her in the knee. And. <laughs> Which is why I'm like, why is this woman our vice president? I thought this was the end of her. I thought I'd never have to see her again. Oh. Graval, um, when he did that, when he called out Obama, Clinton, and Biden, I've watched that like more than one time. I tell you what, that was amazing. I'm sure other people have too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. <laughs> and I, but it's, there's definitely a need to try to silence war and to try to sterilize it and try to make it so that it's never in our, in our presence. And, and that was the part about it that bothered me so much when they came after me for saying, I'm not going to vote for these people because of it. You know, then, you know, it was the same thing with Hillary Clinton. You know, when I didn't vote for them, you know, it it wouldn't have mattered anything about Bernie at that point. I I figured that out working for Senator Gravel. I'm like, I am never going to vote for either of these people for voting for Iraq. Right. And I just, unfortunately, it's some of it is the young kids don't have the memory. They don't they don't think about it. It's not present. They weren't there for it. Or maybe they were really young, you know, and then some of it is people want it to go away. You know, it, it's not convenient. So they, they don't want people to talk about it. And, you know, and apparently not more important than anything else. That's, you know, and, and unfortunately, like one of the things that actually got me making videos again was about you and about how people acted, about what happened to you and oh. how I had people say stuff like, 
it was so important to beat Trump that nothing else was more important. Nothing. It, you know, it it wouldn't have mattered if Joe Biden had just had eaten children. Oh, <laughs> did you see? Did you see the tweet that one uh, some Democrat woman? Um, put up there. She said, Joe Biden could rape me on Fifth Avenue and I'd still vote for him. Yep. yep. Was, I mean, that's, see, that's what Rose McGowan was referring to when she called our country a cult. And, you know, Rose McGowan's um, has talked publicly and then wrote about her book, you know, in her book Brave, about how she was in a cult in Italy with her parents when she was a child. And so she knows what it's like and she knows how hard it is to get away. And, and talked about it. But she, you know, doesn't live in our country now, um, in America right now. And she, and there's reasons why. And she talks about the cult. And it's, it's, it, I have to say, for me, you were early on talking about, you know, the vitriol I received coming forward. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, um, one of the things that I'm still trying to heal from is the betrayal. I mean, it wasn't just like this person did this thing to me. It was that I lost my whole career. It was that I've been, every time I've tried to tell what happened to me, I've been maligned, right? Um, attacked, threatened, my, had my life threatened, had my housing take away, you know, every, everything. My daughter was threatened, stalked. It was awful. And, and these, those are all the things that Me Too is supposed to exist to stop. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just That's what the whole be, movement was supposed to be about. And people like you should feel empowered to be able to come forward. And the betrayal was so personal because these were Democrats. I knew some of these people. I knew, you know, my my supervisor is still working for Biden. Like these are people I know and right. I know what they're doing and they're doing it on purpose. And it's so evil. It's hostile. And I guess I'm trying to work through you know, American citizens saying, no, we're going to vote for your fucking rapists. We don't care. You know, right. and that's, that's a powerful thing to try to take in. That was something I tweeted once. I think I said, you know, where have we come if we've gone beyond the lesser of two evils and now we're voting for the lesser of two rapists? Like, I, I just, the, the 2020 election was, I, I feel like I need to take a shower <laughs> that because I, because I voted in that election. Right. That's, I, I just, it's so bad. And I, I just, it, it's in it's in a level of like, you know, again, we come back to political cognitive dissonance. It's it's a level of you, you really have to just turn off your brain to, to do that. And th- there are people I know personally that were angry at me that I didn't vote for Joe Biden. And I'm like, I, I just like, sorry, get over it. It's not going to happen. You know, that's something I got to give um, Kyle Kalinske from secular talk. He's like, you know, I don't care if you blame me. If Trump wins, in fact, you know, go right on ahead. You guys need to learn your lesson. We're not voting for people like that anymore. You know, and when is that going to happen? When is that going to happen? When are people going to stand up and say, no, you're not going to give us these two choices? He goes. But no one did. And, you know, Bernie could have, like, for instance, I reached out to Bernie's campaign. I reached out to Kamala Harris. I reached out to all the Dems almost um, and some political figures before I went public. And do you know how many responded to me? I think I remember. Did Tulsi say something? I thought she nope. did. No. Nope. Okay. Silence. But- Everybody except Elizabeth Warren sent me a um, a thing that I wasn't in her. I wasn't in her district, and would I donate to her campaign? <laughs> Form letter. Uh-huh. I was wow. like, 
Wow. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I was just talking to you about, you know, that I needed to talk to somebody about what happened. Yeah, no. no. Yeah, no, Chelsea supporters have been behind the scenes, and I know um, I, I've never talked to Chelsea, so I don't know, you know, what her take is on it, but I've not talked to her. So, um, but I would be open to, so. No, I hope that, you know, that okay. actually happens. I guess I could have sworn she said something and I'll, I'll try to hunt for it, but she may not have said it to you, but she, I remember her saying, I believe I remember her saying something publicly. And I think even Harris did at one point, but it's like, okay, yeah, great. But now that, that was so stupid. All the things that Kamala Harris said to Joe Biden during the debate, and now she's working for him. And then she starts I, laughing about it. Right. It was, I, I, uh, oh. Like it's a joke. Like, like just like when Graval, he was so dignified when he said those things to Obama. They just stood, stood there and laughed. And you wanted right. to. I mean, it was just awful. It was just ugly. It's like, why are killing innocent civilians and droning and bombing? Why is that amusing to you? Why is being a Why are being called war criminals something that you proudly kind of, you know, grin about I, that's, really it was just <laughs> ugly and it was and you could tell they were trying to make him seem like he was being ludicrous and he was the most he was the most statesman like person on that stage right no i would agree and i, I remember kucinich calling for the impeachment of george bush and they all looked at him like yeah. he was insane you know mm-hmm. and i i just oh you know, so, but regardless, now let's um, so let's talk about some of the things that you're going to be doing soon. Um, like for example, you're yeah. going to be talking about Medicare for all. Um, you know, That's- and so I guess uh, why don't you tell the audience a bit about you know where you're going to be and, and where they can tune in and what you plan to say without giving too much away. Well, I, I wrote a book called um, Left Out When the Truth Doesn't Fit In. So that's a memoir. And it is available on, on um, Amazon as well as my website, Tara Reed, R-E-A-D-E, author.com. So Tara Reed, author.com or mm-hmm. Amazon. And you can get it in all the different forms. I am currently working on the audiobook, so that'll be coming out. Um, and I am working on a novel that got me into all kinds of trouble in 2019 because it's about Russia. It's, um, called the last snow tiger. Right. And, um, that novel will hopefully be out in the fall. So I'm hope- I'm trying to hit that deadline. So, cause I put it away for a while and I'm getting back into it. And then I was just asked to speak at Medicare for all the marches that are happening all over the country. Um, June 24th. And if you look on social media, you can find Medicare for all using the four and, and uh, go to the website. And I will be um, a guest speaker in the Los Angeles uh, March. So that will be very exciting. Very fun. I'm happy to hear for that. And I, especially the, this, you know, experiences that I've shared with you with the medicine system, the, med- the mm-hmm. medical system, because the medical industrial complex is another one that Gravel pointed out to me. He's like, you can't, you got to think about the medical industrial complex too, because these people make so much money and they make it, you know, at the expense of people suffering. And I, you know, when I try to explain to some of my right leaning listeners and they're, they're starting to get it, I'm like, you know, so you, you think that we should have a for-profit system. I'm like, okay, so, and you tell them the story because there was a documentary and unfortunately I don't remember the name of it, but on the front of it is that Martin Screlly guy that makes you want to drown him in a toilet who raised the price of the EpiPen. And the documentary goes in to say, that guy is small potatoes. This is the guy you need to pay attention to. And there's this drug for uh, if you you can have a a condition where your body can't process copper. And -hmm. if you don't have this drug, you will die within a month. And they raised the price of this drug to the point where this woman 
spends $100,000 a year just to continue living. And, right. you know, and they could just do that. It just, some of the, you know, for some things should not be for profit. No, they shouldn't. Um, like the price of, you know, insulin is so out of reach for, for people. I right. know people that, you know, their whole lives are around, you know, built around how to pay for that insulin. Right. And that's, that's, I mean, we're in a frightening place right now in our country. And, you know, just to be clear about Joe Biden, back to him. Sure. One of the things that kind of woke me up when I was working there, besides what happened to me, was when I was working there, I was in charge of the insurance. And I was supposed to um, look at, you know, screen insurance we hired for the office. I was given a stack, and they were called VIPs, and they were DuPont Corporation um, employer children. So not DuPont, not just DuPont employers, but like the, on the board of directors. So very wealthy right. young men, mostly white men. Um, and I, I challenged it and went to the Ted Kaufman and said, you know, we need more diversity in this office and I don't want to just hire DuPont kids, the trust fund kids, we call them. Ugh, yeah. That was the nickname, the trust funders. And, um, he pushed back and then we wrangled a bit and then he said, okay, 50%. So I could hire. So I brought some some women that I had worked with on a campaign from California and um, they were hired um, and screened and, and whatnot uh, at the last. But but what was interesting was that um, DuPont was such an integral part of that office that I started to see companies behind. That's when I really started to woke up to the cor corporations were behind each. Like, for instance, um you know, John Kerry's Heinz, and then he married into the Heinz and just, you know, you know, that he married right. into the Heinz family, right? Um, Joe Biden was Bristol Myers Squibb, DuPont, and then, you know, later on Raytheon, um, early on TRW. Um, so they all had their, you know, their corporate people behind them. Well, yeah. And I, like, have you ever seen the film Dark Waters? Mark no. Ruffalo? It's about how um, how DuPont was DuPont created the chemical that we use for nonstick pans, and they were just dumping it in a river, and they killed a a bunch of cows. They killed basically a, a family died because they all got cancer. They were they were poisoning an entire community, and you know they they covered it up. There there's a documentary form about it too, which unfortunately I can't remember the name of. But if you look up Dark Waters and you you start looking at what DuPont did, that is an outright evil company. You know, and uh, I mean, not that there's a lot of really big ones that don't get that way. Like you can look at Donald Rumsfeld, you mm -hmm. know, and, and Monsanto, um, right. you know, KBR slash Halliburton Monsanto. and Dick Cheney, you know, and uh, it's all this revolving door of corporate horrors. And I, I can't yeah. stand it. You know, it's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, that people like Bernie exist because he can operate on donors, you know, that are not companies. I, I wish that more people understood how important that was when Mike was running, you right. know, because he, that guy took the bus to get to um, debates, you know, and <laughs> that, that, when you're an elderly man, that that's not easy on your body, you know, but, but yeah. So yeah, I guess check out the film dark waters if you get an opportunity, but yeah. I, so yeah, I love Mark Ruffalo. I wish, I wish he was, I took a different stance on Palestine, but I love him. Yeah. Right. He kind of like backed off, but like he, Susan Sarandon are some of the last warriors, really um, activists that really. Well, she's always been great. Susan has always been great.
Yeah, you know? he's, she's tonight. They're working on the Steve Doniger case. You know, he was the one that went up against Chevron, and now he's been under house arrest for um, almost two years. Oh, jeez. Because um, he won that a multi multi million dollar uh, thing against uh, Chevron poisoning um, people in Ecuador, right? The, in the right. range, some of the. Yeah, and so um, that's a good thing to to look at. And mainstream media is not covering it, and it's the longest house arrest of an environmentalist activist in in history right now. So, right, for you know, he's a lawyer, human rights lawyer, right? And well, it's for perjury or something like that. They're trying to label him with, and he didn't do that. So, anyway. and you got to expect somebody's exchanging money to make that happen to keep him there. Well, but- the case was in Ecuador, and and they and Chevron lost, and then he came back to America, and then they. Chevron went after him. That's messed yeah. up. Well, I remember because um, that guy who called himself the economic hitman talked about what was going on in Ecuador. Uh, I think it was James Perkins, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. You know, and they basically it was this huge lawsuit where the indigenous people were like, they're just dumping oil on our land, you know. Um, and that's it, it's one of the reasons why when when people, especially if they quibble between the right and the left about the issue of, well, the government is corrupt. Well, the corporations are corrupt. And there's this great meme that gets passed around where the guy goes, and I'm just sitting here looking at the fact that the corrupt corporations pay for the corrupt government. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. So Tara, um, again, you know, so can you give the website again about where people can check out your book? Sure. Um, TaraReadAuthor.com um, or Amazon, the evil empire. <laughs> So, I hate to I hate to plug Jeff Bezos, but what are you going to do? And, well, there's only uh, so much you can do at this point. Yeah, and I know, but it's it's also available in Barnes and Noble and other places. It's it's getting available in bookstores and whatnot, so you can look around for it, and you can ask someone to get it, um, any bookstore that you want if you if you need to. So do you do you have anything else coming down the pike as far as like what you're you going to be doing? I'm doing advocacy for um, our wild horses because they're talking about the Cattlemen's Association is a very big lobby, and they've been trying to get rid of um, wild horses off of federal lands. And um, so I'm very I have been since I was oh my gosh active with this issue since I was 19 years old, which is a long long time, and right. nothing changed. They're still unfortunately. Um, slaughtering uh, wild horses for for food, human consumption, and other countries. So I'm trying to raise awareness to save our wild horses. Um, I think July 1st, they were BLM Bureau of Land Management was planning to round up um, thousands, literally, and most of them will go to slaughter. So we're trying to raise awareness. So you know, go to. Um, um, horse advocacy websites and animal welfare websites and and educate yourself on that. So I'm going to. What is their motive? Is this like a buffalo thing? Like, what, why are they killing? Like, they don't. Is it cheaper well, than cattle somehow? Well, the cattle they use for profit, right? Um, and so they want them to be able to just graze on federal lands. But they actually do more damage than horses do. Horses have been there, as you know, since before we came. Right. Um, here um but they're removing them slowly more and more from those federal lands unfortunately it's been really sad so they uh new york times did an expose and i usually don't ever plug the new york times for obvious reasons but um since they did hit articles on me like one after another but did an expose about the um 
it's the program where they you would adopt a horse, but it was actually a pipeline to slaughter. So people were pretending to adopt them for a dollar and then turning around and selling them to a slaughterhouse for profit. <sighs> so, um, yeah, you can look that article up, but yeah. So, I worked with horses at the Renaissance Festival as part of the joust. And um, oh. we, used to, we used to rescue horses and that's what we would use. And one right. of them was named Buddy. And he had a, a divot in the back of his um, shoulders because the previous owners had just left his plow share on him and never took it off. Oh my and um, he ended up being an amazing joust horse because he had never been allowed to run. So now it was more of a question of, oh, I want to run. Can I go? Can I go? <laughs> it was more about, our, no, hold on a second. We're not ready to go yet. But he was a fantastic horse. But no, I, I get it. And I just, it's, um, I'm glad that you're working on that. And I, I'm, I'm, feel embarrassed that I didn't know about the idea that we're killing wild horses. I'm trying to wrap my head around that. That's just horrific. Like I don't, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Look up that issue and get a, get around it. Um, Cause we, we need more, more, it needs to be elevated. The other thing is with Renfair. Um, I am, as you know, a theater geek and I did Renfair up in Gig Harbor, Washington mm-hmm. during while I was going to law school and uh, in the summers and I would do Shakespeare um, and dressing garb. And then had Shakespeare little, we did like mini plays. So it was great. And I got involved, of course, with the with the horses and the jousting and all that stuff. Well, I that think that cool. people, once they understand what it's like to have a relationship with a horse, it changes yeah. things for them. I mean, that's, it does. there was a movie called In Pursuit of Honor. And it was about when they were decommissioning the cavalry. This is after World War One, mm-hmm. And the War Department decided just to dispose of the horses. And so that lasted about five minutes like as in they were literally trying to gun down these horses and the cavalry with the cavalry literally rebelled and they're like no no you're not like they literally took out their guns and they they rescued those horses and they were gonna go give them to the sioux on their reservation because the military couldn't follow them there and and unfortunately they ended up not being able to do that they ended up having to give them they took them to canada and gave them to the mounties you know okay but again it's like just the notion that people can just I, I don't know. It's been a while since I've talked about environmentalism, but you really got to be a sociopath to just write that off, you know, and that's, but yeah. it is something again, that people who have worked with horses are going to have a different perspective on. And the cavalry, they were willing to get shot to save those horses. <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. You know, um, <laughs> you know, for survivors that are listening, what's really cool is, um, well, one of the things I do is, um, is uh, I love equine therapy and I have, you know, volunteer to equine therapy places. And I would highly recommend it. It's a really good way because with trauma, usually talk therapy isn't as effective as physical things like somatic healing or like equine therapy, things that are, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Work on, on integrating the body as well as the mind. And the thing about horses is they're very, they're prey animals. They're very herd mentality. They're gentle for the most part. I mean, there's always wild ones, but you know, it's just this healing and uh, that happens when you're around just their energy. You don't have to ride them, but just grooming them and just being around them. Um, and their sympathetic nerve system matches up to ours. They're one of the few animals that does that besides like dogs. And that makes a lot of sense. And it actually kind of brings to light some things because working at Renaissance Festival can sometimes can be very stressful, mm-hmm. you know, and I was always ironically much more calm holding my horse, you know, That's like, so- um, because you, you just chill out with them. And then the funny thing is you can chill them out. That was right. probably one of the most powerful moments of my life is this horse. 
he, I guess, had been used for hunting. So if you ran at him, he would freak out. So we could only oh. use him for games. Right. And and so something runs at him and he starts freaking out. I'm like, he is going to break this poor guy's neck because the knife mm-hmm. is going to get bucked. And like mm-hmm. five different people approached this horse and he just kept freaking out. And I had to just walk up, put my hands up because I was the one who usually handled him. And I whispered to him, his name is Biscuit, and he chilled right out. And I was like, wow, that was like, it was like magic. You know, like, and so when you talked about energy, I was like, that makes perfect sense. You know? Well, because horses, you know, the thing is, if you're outside, doesn't match your inside, they let you know. Horses are truth tellers. So, like, when I work with my horse, he's a young, very young horse. He he knows if if I'm not, you know, you got to come correct when you're with a horse. And you have to be grounded and in the moment, as you know, from working in run fairs. And if, like, like if you're in a bad mood, um, but you're trying to pretend like you're happy, horses notice. They act out a little. So they right. act out almost like, you know, you your parents, so you know this, and I have, I had, I had my child's adult now, but kids act out, right? You, they sense yeah. our moods and they act out our moods, right? Same thing with horses. They, they're very, um, because they're prey animals, they're very attuned to nonverbal. And, um, and that's why it's, it's super, um, it's Powerful. super good, mindful to be with them. And yeah, and just, I, I love them very much. It's a passion for sure horses and all that. So Tara, um, I'm sorry if if I'm saying your name wrong again. Tara. Um, (laughs) Tara. Miss Reed, um, you know, I know that at one time you had talked about wanting to be a senator. Do you have any plans to ever possibly be involved in politics again? Um, You know, I'm, that's a hard question right now because I'm sort of mad at everybody. Um, right, right. No, I understand. No, but I'm mad at my, a lot of my fellow citizens that voted for Joe Biden. I need some time to heal. So I'll think about things later, um, how my life kind of the trajectory works out. But right now I'm really happy with trying to heal from this. And I'm still kind of going through it. When I announced that I was going to do the Medicare for all, a bunch of paid Democratic bots went right after me. Right. So all weekend and said things I can't even repeat on your show because they were so vulgar. Right. I have to kind of come through that um, and heal and then look at where I I fit in politically because I, my beliefs are very, um, as you know, anti-imperialist and, and uh, they're very specific. So green party likes me, you know, a lot. Um, So, and I like them and I, I really, like I said, I, I, uh, wrote an op-ed about Angela Walker and I really enjoyed that conversation. So, right. Well, I mean, if it ever comes to that, you know, uh, you know how to get a hold of me on Twitter. I, I work for Mike Gravel as a consultant, so be happy to help you out. Um, oh, that's nice of you to offer. What about you? Are you going to run again or? Um, I, I don't know. I think it, part of the problem is, is I, I think if I did run, it's, like, for example, Mike Gravel didn't really expect that he would win. He more, Mike's, long time work that unfortunately a lot of people don't know about because it doesn't get as much replay is that he was a direct democracy advocate. He had worked in the Senate for so long and he figured out that the only way he could get anything done was essentially by cheating, like things like filibustering the draft or reading right. top secret documents into the public record, you right. know, to, you know, like because the system isn't set up that way. And so he, he felt and um, he investigated trying to create a constitutional amendment for the purpose of allowing citizens to propose, you know, like ballot initiatives, um, you know, similar to like what you see on the state level, 
-hmm. it would also give people the power to recall politicians, which would change everything. You know, like George Bush was like down to 30% approval rating at one point. You know, if you had this system in place, just like, say, a governor who gets really unpopular, you can recall them. You know, the the Iraq war's public opinion was so low, you know, and and the thing is, is that I'm not saying it's a perfect solution, because as we've just been talking about, people have been really irrational lately, you know. But yeah, I would say, especially back in 2008, I would say people instead were more hyper conscious of what was going on. You know, and I think that the the, the big point that he was trying to get at was that, especially in the old days, the in in the original colonies, we did govern ourselves more democratically. They you'd have a town hall meeting and then your colony would decide what they wanted to do collectively. Right. On this into this idea that it's better that we pick other people to make our decisions for us. Um, And one of the things that Mike uncovered was that the reason they were doing that was because they couldn't get the constitution ratified because of the issue of slavery was right. that because the, there were people in the North, particularly the colonies that were heavily occupied by Quakers. Mm-hmm. Um, they were like, we don't want slavery. We, you know, we don't want it to be legal. And then mm-hmm. there were people in the South who were like, well, we do want slavery and we're not going to ratify it. So there was a lot of money being changed hands that had to do with it. And that's the reason we lost our ability to have a democratic voice. And we've been conned into thinking that if we democratically, ironically, pick someone else to do it for us, that that's somehow going to be better. And, you know, he looked at some examples. So I guess I think it's either Switzerland or Sweden. It's been a while since I read his book. But, you know, if you want to go to war, there has to be a referendum. That's you can't, even, you can't yeah. even take their military to war. Without, I mean, you can if you're the president, you can react like you don't have to just let you know, like another country run you over. But the point is, is like, if you were going to do something like Iraq in those countries, you have to have a referendum. There is no one person who can just cognitively decide, you know, that this is what I'm going to do. And go ahead. No, go ahead with what you're saying. Look, I was just going to say, that's the main reason. I mean, of course, Mike would have loved to have run in 2008 and won, you know, but he was also getting on in years. It's like, well, you know, if I do this, you know, I don't even know if I do two terms. What I really want to do is get attention to, you know, direct democracy. At the time, it was the National Initiative for Democracy. He said he had then written a different book, which I feel badly for not remembering the name of. But I had an interview with him uh, sometime late last year before he passed. And people can check it out on my channel. But, you know, and he was going to Tulsi about it. And he was hoping that Bernie would get behind it because Medicare for all has a huge approval rating in this system. We could have it like, you know, in a month. Because you, you got to take the people who are, you know, basically corporately owned out of the equation. And there was another initiative, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it was uh, Jennifer Lawrence actually came out and spoke in favor of what this guy was doing. But he pointed out that, um, like, uh, that if a bill has 90% approval rating, it still has 30% chance of passing. If a bill has negative 30%, like nobody likes this, it still has a 30% chance of passing. And yeah. because of how screwed up our system is. And then you couple that with the information that Justin and Mosh brought out on Andrew Yang's podcast. He talked about how, while technically we have a House of Representatives and a Senate, the reality is Nancy Pelosi and at the time Mitch McConnell control everything that gets voted on. So it doesn't matter. You know, and he said, basically, we used to be allowed to offer amendments. We used to be, allow, you know, offer to change things like maybe, for example, somebody on the right 
they might like a bill, but they only want this one thing changed, and then they'd vote for it. You can't do that anymore. They, they make it an all-or-nothing game, and that it comes back to why political parties were never intended in the Constitution. I did a whole bit about that. Guys can check it out on my channel. But the point is, is that, um, in fact, the founding fathers, when they came over here, a lot of them were fleeing political persecution because conflicts between political parties were leading to riots in the streets. Sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. I mean, I, I've thought about it, but it would kind of I think if I did it, it would have to be partisan. Like, you know, I'm kind of in a stage in my life where it would be difficult for me to hold office. But, you know, at the same time, what I can do instead, though, is try to bring attention to this idea. I kind of think Mike was right. And then in the end, that representative government without the check and balance, you know, of a direct democracy system to back it up, I think is is never going to work. You know, and yeah, we're we're in a binary system that's not working. You know, the right. two party system's not working. And and it's and, and let's face it, they're the same. Like the Democratic Party is the same is the Republican Party, and the Republican right. Party has gone right of that. So you have a choice between fascism or fascism with a velvet glove. And right. um, you know, that's it. It's it's not it's not tenable for for our country to, to go down this path. If we continue going down this path, we will get to a state of authoritarianism. And I really, truly believe that. And it's because it's become a, corp, you know, a corporatocracy where very few corporations kind of are pulling the strings. The wealth gap, which people have talked about for two decades, has now, just as projected, has happened to where there's no middle class. It's disappearing. Right. And, and these very few people that hold all the power and the money um, are making decisions for us. So Gravel was right. Like um, it would be great to have direct democracy, how we get it from where it is right now back to something close to that. I don't know. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's the unfortunate part about it. I think our current society, unfortunately, isn't really in a position to be ready for it, but one of the things he pointed out, though, was that when that system exists, people are more conscious of their politics and your politicians are more conscious of their people because they can get fired. Exactly. You know, and it's not as simple as, well, let me just placate you and tell, oh, the election's coming up. Well, now I'm going to be really nice to you and say all the things you want to hear. Well, yeah, look what Joe Biden did. Uh, you're yep. going to get $2,000 checks. You're going to get a $15 wage. I'm going to forgive all the student loans. Has right. he done any of that? Any of it? Well, that's the same crap they were trying to tell us when they were saying vote for Hillary. I'm like, well, right. they literally told me, well, she's you know, she's absorbed Bernie's platform. I'm like, yeah, sure she has. You know, yeah. And the same thing wow. happened with Biden and all those. I told you about that, like uh, like we were talking off the air. I was like, so the second that Bernie dropped out, it was like all these Biden people on Facebook activated in our Bernie groups. And they were telling us, well, no, 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 he's going to adopt this. He's going to do. I'm like, no, he's not. Come on, stop. The climate, you know, the climate legislation, right? <laughs> well, right. None of it. None of it. And it's not just them. Like Black Lives Matter, totally snubbed by yep. Joe Biden. He doesn't talk to them. Doesn't, you know, I, I just there's so many people who got duped in that scenario. And, and those of us who were like, yeah, we kind of told you that was going to happen. You know, like um, and I, and, tried. I, I did my thing. I said he will. Yeah. And I mean, I've been trying to shout it from the rooftops of what what it was, what he was like. I was mm -hmm. really shocked. Actually, when I was coming forward, as you know, there was rumors he was dropping out because he was so unpopular. Right. He just didn't have it. So I, I thought I would be able to tell my history about Joe Biden without, you know, without it being so, yeah. electric, basically. But then 
I did write a medium piece because I was watching the DNC and I know enough about politics just from being, you know, in, involved as long as I was. Um, I said, I predicted that it would be Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And I said, that's who they're going to pick. And they're going to pull the rug out from Bernie. And sure enough, they did. Right. And that's, you know, I think, you know, because it was my job when I was working for Mike to kind of analyze the pulse of the people. I remember back in 2016 saying, well, for one, they're definitely <laughs> underestimating Trump. And what? they're also underestimating Bernie. And then like, oh, look at that. Yep. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Oh, Trump's winning. And like, then yeah, told you. didn't go to Wisconsin. And you got to go to Wisconsin. <laughs> right. No, it's just there was a lot of different things. That. Like, right. and she it on the Russians. No, no, Russia had nothing to do with her not going to Wisconsin. Right. You know? And and that really made a huge difference, I think. That's well, and all opinion. of her history was so terrible. And I, that was the thing that bothered me the most about it is people didn't understand why we wouldn't vote for her. I'm like, why would we? I'm like, you know, and, and unfortunately, if you repeat the things she did, you'd be told right wing talking points. One of the things that's an independent that drives me nuts is like the right wing versus left wing talking points. I'm like, can we talk about whether or not something is a valid point rather than you discussing whether or not the right side says it or the left side says it? You know, it's like, you know, there's a video called Hillary Clinton lying for, I think, like 18 minutes straight or something. And then they're like, <laughs> well, that's all right wing talking points. I'm like, OK, but it's all true. <laughs> it's, it's all true that she lied about all this stuff. I'm like, you know, and. But, the, you know, when we bring that back to Biden, it's the same thing. You know, he lied about all that stuff. I knew he was going to get involved in wars. He, You know, the funny thing is, is he didn't just vote for Iraq. He was one of the loudest proponents for it. And oh, yeah. and he defended it. You know, he never like it, John Edwards at least said he was wrong, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. but, no, but he just he no. defended it. I, I don't know what he would say now if you asked him. I mean, at this point, can he even? He stands by it. Talk? He stands by it. He's like that. You know, if, if someone tells you who they are, believe them. That's my, you know, motto. And he told people who he was a long right. time ago. When he told that group of donors, and that video was out way before the election, he said, nothing will fundamentally change. Right. He meant right. He meant it. He meant for them. He meant for the elites, the very rich. And he's making sure that their agenda is met. It's not ours. And and I can tell you because I know these people. I have sat in rooms with these people. They don't give a shit about you. Just right. So they don't care. Right. Like that George Carlin bit when he said, you know, they don't give a shit about you. Yeah, no. I play that clip all the time. Yeah, I, put, know, and, I put that clip in my uh, op-ed that I did. Yeah, I copied that clip. When he said, with Juanita Broderick, I did a, a talk with her, and I mm -hmm. said, we did a play on words and said, we're in a small club and we don't want to be in it because she, right. right, and then, um, but his, you know, his famous quote, it's a it's a big club, but, but you ain't in it. Yeah. Right, right. And that's, you know, so it doesn't surprise me at all. I, I'm just kind of shaking my head going, yeah, I told you. Yeah, I told you. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that I've Rose, never – go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say Rose McGowan talked about, like, um, in Hollywood, some of the elites being around them. She she made the comment, yeah, I've been around them when their microphones are turned off. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what I've been trying to tell people. I've been around these people in rooms and hear what they really say. Like, they said something about, you know – like, for instance, Russia, let's go back to there for a second – there was always this hostility about Russia, even when they had their, you know, person in before Putin. Um, right. 
you know, right? They still had the hostility where Russia was never going to get a seat at the table and they wanted to economically bring them to their knees. And that's it. And that was the plan. And that's what happened. And now, you know, what Putin did was he, what the reason why I do admire him in a way is because he pushed back and said, nope, your oligarchs aren't going to run my country and trash it and kicked him out. And right. they yelled and screamed and pounded and called him an authoritative. He's a dictator and he's this or that. But he was doing what he thought was best for his country and protecting it from being pilfered by Americans, basically oligarchs. I remember him being interviewed by somebody. And, you know, of course, you have to watch, you have to listen to the subtitles. But I think they were talking about Russia at one point that looked like they were moving on Ukraine. And he just kind of said, yeah, you know, because that's what big countries do, like when the United States moved into Iraq. You know, like, he, yeah. he was just kidding. He's like, it's ridiculous that anybody wants to talk about this. He's like, did we occupy Iraq? No, we we, we did what we were supposed to do and we left. And, it, you know, the funny thing is, is that, again, he's, you know, I, I'm not a fan of the guy, but at the same time, he wasn't wrong. You know, like, and it's, it, nobody talks realistically about, especially like, you know, I have a lot of friends in Europe and talk to them about their views on politics. It's like, it's like talking to people who live on another planet. Exactly. You know? It's well, yeah. it's wonderfully refreshing, isn't it? No, no, it is. It, you know, especially <laughs> if they live in those democratic countries I was talking about earlier, but you know, it's because the, and they, they think so much of our stuff that we argue about is so crazy and they're not wrong. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, and, it is crazy. Like, like look at like, like people like equating bombing with sex. I mean, that's crazy. That's a weird collective uh, message that's that's being processed out there. And and I raised it up on my Twitter, not because I want to amplify it, but because I want to de-amplify it. I want to say, look at this. This is wrong. Don't let them snow you. Because they're 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 aiming it at the younger generation that hasn't been through a war, that hasn't seen the casualties, that hasn't seen the pain. Right? Right. It's and you know, but back to what you're saying about Vladimir Putin, you know, I don't think that you you were careful about what you said see because we are so brainwashed we're not supposed to like him he's the bad guy he's not i don't believe that i don't believe it for a minute he's no worse or better than any other world leader he's simply not doing the empire's bidding he's simply pushing back and protecting his country that's all i don't what i'm saying i'm careful about something it's because i don't know enough about it (laughs) no 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 but you know what i mean i mean it's like Whenever I talk to anyone publicly, they're so afraid to give any kind of like to even say Russia or even to say, I like this leader or that. Secretly, they'll say it behind the scenes. They'll say to me, you know, I kind of like Vladimir Putin. He seems kind of cool. But publicly, they would never say it. It's so ridiculous. That's how scared and how weaponized fear is right now in our public discourse. And you were talking earlier about Democrats and how they're making it so that if you say the wrong thing or take the wrong position, you can be canceled. Right. Like that. No. Yeah. That's, and the cancel culture thing is, is unfortunately way, way out of control. And I, Mm -hmm. the the thing is, is that it's, and it seems like they're testing it. Like it's a weapons test because they're going after people that are not even relevant. Like, I mean, the, the way they went after Gina Carano was yeah. basically a mob goes to her Twitter and makes certain demands of her. And when she doesn't go along with it, then they label her something and then they get her fired. And it's like now them getting Gina Carano fired from the Mandalorian is not going to be relevant in world politics. It's not going to nope. change anybody's opinions, but it's like they're testing their weapon because they want to be able to use it on, you know, in more important situations down the road, you know, and I, it's also them kind of testing how far can we get people to go along with this? That's, 
There was a different psychological study, I think it was called the Milgram experiment, but they basically would put people in a situation where their job was to send electronic volts over to shock somebody if they got a question wrong on a test. <laughs> and they tested these people, and this is another test that can actually be replicated in psychology, and just about everybody got to the maximum voltage. It was, I'm sorry, 50% would get to the maximum voltage. You know, and they can re you can replicate this study as long as you get people that don't know about the study. You know, uh -huh. and it's because an authority figure told them that they needed to do it. And they would go all the way to the end because they're being assured, no, you got to do this, you got to do this. You know, and it's that's I think also what they're kind of relying on is that if they can become the authority that you need to be afraid of, then they can get you to do anything, you know. And one of the things Andrew Yang pointed out in his book was that the more stressed people are, your IQ actually drops. So right. it, it makes it harder and harder to be rational and you become more and more like primal and you become more and more tribalistic um, pack-like, and so it, it ends up creating a scenario, and that's actually um, well, that, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's like trauma, that's like fight or flight. Um, sure. Luke Bible talks about that. One of the Weinstein survivors in the brain, it's the frontal part of the brain, right. um, where you shut down into fight or flight. So, so like trauma survivors, like myself, like when I see a bunch of trolls online attacking me, I actually have almost a physiological or I used to. I'm, I'm better now at processing it, not internalizing it. But I'd see those words and they would have like almost a physiological effect. Right. And, and it shuts you down. It, it makes you feel anxious. It makes you feel like you have to run or fight. Yeah. Well, like in many aspects of psychology, that can be mimicked in sociology. So yeah. now you traumatize a society. Right. So one of the things that Chairman Mao did in, in China when he was taking power was that he would create circumstances of extreme chaos, violence, and uncertainty, because then you can slide in and go, now I'm going to save you from it. Right. You know, that's the same thing. You know, it's like uh, the, you know, the allegory that they were making in the Star Wars prequel films was that Emperor Palpatine manipulated the situation to make everybody afraid, and then you can be the solution. You know, and I I'm trying to bring people to the point where they understand these effects so that they can protect themselves from it. Because you can, if you're cognizant of that effect, right. if you're not, it's like people either, you kind of run into different personalities. Some people, maybe they're not going to be able to get it. Maybe because if their IQ is low enough and I'm not trying to be cruel, it's just the truth. They may not be able to perceive it, you know, but at the same time, then you get the next level layer of people. They do perceive it. These are the kind of people who maybe they won't publicly back you on Twitter but they'll send you a private message saying, hey, I just want to let you know. Yeah, that I think you're right. right. They're not going to say anything on Twitter. Right. They'll tell you privately. And then there's the next layer of people who are either like Mike Gravel, who are like, no, you're not doing that to me. And I'm not going to let you do it to anybody else. <laughs> or they're the yeah. people who go, yeah, I'm aware of that effect. And you better shut up because I'm using it to my benefit. Right. You know? And so what I try to set out to be like in that. Um, there was, there's was another psychological test. We talked about this off the air about where they'll get a group of people together and five of them are actors and one of them is not. And he's actually the one the test is being done on. And mm -hmm. the test is, can you identify how long these lines are on the wall? Well, one of them, you know, they like basically the, you know, what they found was that most of the time, if five other people say, well, the, it's number three when it's really number two, the person will still go along with it. But the other thing they found in that test was that if that person has somebody else in the group, even if the group is large, who is also saying it, uh -huh. that, you know, that no, you guys are wrong. It's this line. 
then they're more likely to fight out of it. And so that's my role. That's who I am. You know, and I learned that from Mike. I learned that from, you know, uh, different people in my life, you know, like Ron Paul, for example, you know, getting up and telling the truth about Iraq. You know, that's the role that I take for myself. And, um, you know, I think that what was going on with you is another example of, well, no, you know, I think it's number three, but uh, everybody kind of saying it's number two, you know, <laughs> they just go along with it, you know, and, you know, because you had all you had different kinds of people, you know, I'm sure you probably also had people who perhaps were more quietly supportive of you, but didn't want to say anything. Well, you know, yeah, they would be attacked. Yeah, they would be attacked right. themselves. Um, in fact, I had I had cooperating witnesses, you know, people that knew what happened back when it happened. Um, they were doxxed online. Their bankruptcy divorces were posted, things like that. So yep. It's a very coordinated attack. And they, that's what they do. I'm just the microcosm, like I said. They do this to other people, to other situations. They do this to world leaders. It's a playbook. You know, you you uh, you they have to deplatform the person and make them a villain. Make them so that you don't care what happens to them. So even if they are telling the truth, you don't care because you don't like them. Right. Or or you're afraid of being next, you know, as you mentioned earlier. That's true. And, or you're yeah. afraid of being, yeah, dragged right. into it. Right. And that's these elements are things that people that, you know, have been using to control humanity forever. I mean, Machiavelli writes books about it, you know, or did. The prince. Yeah, the prince. You know, it, so that's it's true. like... Yeah. People can be made aware of it, but they have to be willing to listen to it. And, and in the end, they also need to recognize why it's important like for them to, to do this. And my mom, you know, fortunately enough, she was one of those people. I think one of the earliest stories she told me that was very influential, she said she told me the story of, I guess there was a platoon of soldiers that were sent to ground zero when they tested the first nuclear bomb. And none of them were told about the risks and none of them were told what could happen. And to be somewhat fair, nobody really knew what would happen. But at the same time, they also didn't know if these people were going to be okay. And all those people died, you know, and she was pointing that out to me as kind of a parable of you, you should be making sure you keep your thinking cap on, you know, it doesn't mean question authority all the time, but it does mean keep thinking. Yeah. You know, so, you know, Tara, I, I know we've kind of gotten to the end of the time that we were allotted. So I really appreciate you coming on and, you know, I Thank hope you'll come on again sometime. I really enjoyed this conversation and, I have to give you a compliment. I think that you have grown a great deal through the course of all of this. I think you were a very powerful speaker when we were talking, you know, and you know, you're willing to push back a little bit without any problems. You you know, you have a, a solid spine. Let me say that. So I hope you do decide to get involved in politics because we need more people like you and I'll be happy to help you, you know, every step of the way, you oh, know, yeah. so, but, um, you know, but I would, I would also say to take a moment, to say to the people who are listening to what you and I were just talking about is this. If you like this kind of conversation and you want this kind of information out there, the system is not designed to facilitate that. You have to share these things. You have to do it yourself. You gotta put it on your Facebook, your Twitter. You know, So share this broadcast, share other broadcasts, share anything that you know is the truth. You know, Because if you don't, like you know, the YouTube algorithm, for example, gobbles me up because I put you know, the raw truth on my video all the time, you know, um, and they did the same thing, you know, you know, like there were a bunch of people who disparaged Mike Gravel after he died, you know, mm-hmm. like what the hell's the matter with you people, you know, yeah. but, but you, you and I guess what I'm getting at is, is that share these, these podcasts, share these videos, support independent media, 
you know, for me, I don't monetize. I, I did in the past. My motive now, my payoff now is when I read in the comments, man, thank you for doing this because I didn't even know about this. I'm so like, that's my payoff, you know? And if, if people are going to, you know, if you're going to basically, you're gonna, if you do not support independent media, then it just continues to stay down in the views and that's the way they want it, you know? So share this stuff and, you know, share any of these podcasts, any of these YouTubers that you like, they're telling the truth, you know, because we can change the consciousness, but if we're going to do it, it's going it, to, it takes, you know, all it takes is a click in many cases, you know, cut and paste the URL because you will make a difference. So thanks again, thanks again, Tara. And again, I, I'd li really like to talk to you again later. And if you have a brief second off the air, I'd like to just have a, an end cap with you before you go, you know, but um, to those of you who are listening, thank you for tuning in to V Radio. Um, and again, you know, you can check out my archives on either my YouTube channel or my blog talk radio account. You know, I'm also on Apple podcasts. I'm on iTunes, you know, and, um, you may not always agree with everything I say. And in fact, I don't want an audience that automatically agrees with everything I say, you know, but I, you know, I have some, you know, listeners who are on the right and some listeners who are on the left and that's the way I like it, you know, and I would urge you try to find some people that you don't always agree with. And, and, you know, Train your brain to be able to handle that and process it because that's another problem I see right now is people are just kind of circulating themselves only in their echo chambers, you know, mm -hmm. and that's not good for your brain. <laughs> you yeah. know, it doesn't help that the, the Google algorithms actually do that. They also only expose you to what they think you want to see, you know, fix yourself in that regard. So Tara is, um, so once again, share your book. Um, where can we look at your book? Um, Amazon or the website tarareadauthor.com. It's left out when the truth doesn't fit in. And, um, you know, I'm glad that you did run fair. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with, um, a big thank you and a huzzah. So huzzah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if you get elected somewhere, I'll, I'll order a three cheers and <laughs> like I used to do at the Chows. Thanks again, Miss Reed. So, um, like I said, I'll probably ring you real quick when we get off here. And thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Take care.